Welcome to Woo With Us, a podcast to help you navigate and explore the many topics of spirituality, woo-woo, mysticism, and more. Don't do your spiritual awakening alone. Join us and let's spiritually awaken together. Hello, all. Welcome back to Woo With Us. Hey, Nicole, it's been a minute. I know we've uh, we've done quite a few weeks on the Wheel of the Year, and so I, I hope you all enjoyed that. And we are back this week to talk about something that I've personally used in my healing journey, um, but it was interesting to go through and um, really dig deep and learn a little more about somatic healing and the types and and really you know when I was using it I wasn't using it in any kind of um professional setting per se and I didn't realize that there kind of were professionals that were using this these types of techniques because I was really using it more in like a you know quote-unquote woo-woo way just the way I, I learned about it and so it was interesting to for me to see the other side of this and um, get get some interesting perspective and ideas on how I can continue to use this moving forward. So again, we're talking about somatic healing this week. And somatic healing, it, it can also be called somatic counseling, somatic experiencing, or somatic therapy. And basically it's a type of therapy that helps to treat post-traumatic stress, any past trauma, and effects from other mental health conditions that someone might have. And basically what the therapy does is it connects a person's mind and body and then applies psychotherapy and physical therapies during the treatment. And the theory of somatic therapy is really based on the idea that the things that happen in someone's life, and that includes negative experiences, are not only stored in the brain, but in the body as well. And if you've listened to any of our podcasts historically, you know that both of us practice Reiki and I 100% believe in this theory and I don't know why it's not talked about more. Um, And so that's why we're here to talk even more about it today. So the mind-body connection or the somatic connection refers to the way that your thoughts are connected to your feelings. Feelings imply a physical sensation that you feel in your body. So something physical, the way a person thinks may impact the way they feel and vice versa. The way you feel might impact the way you think. So when you think about this idea, when a person is experiencing negative thoughts, it's probably going to impact their mind and it's definitely going to impact their body as well. So the idea that the mind and the body are connected opens up this pathway to healing that can be used for trauma, stress, anxiety, addiction, and other mental health disorders. So I always like to go into the history of of where these things come from. And so the history is that in the 19th century, a lot of physical education um, kind of movements, I guess you could call them, arose, like yoga, Pilates, a lot of the Tai Chi, a lot of the Asian inspired um, judo kind of um, physical therapy movements came about. And in the 1970s, Thomas Hanna theorized about somatics and that much of chronic pain actually comes from the loss of the ability of neurons in the brain to control muscle tissue. So with this idea, he assumed that a person can find relief through education, mindfulness, and even intentionally moving their bodies. In the 1970s, Dr. Peter Levine developed somatic experiencing, and that partly came from the Jungian therapy. And the idea was that when humans experience trauma, and I love this, and I believe in it so much, and I'm so glad that this is almost like a sciencey way to understand it, The idea was that when humans experience trauma, they get stuck in the freeze mode. So you heard of fight or flight. This is the freeze response. And so when you remain frozen, that causes that negative energy to stay in the body. And that's what leads to those physical and mental problems. Additionally, the Hakomi method was developed in the 1970s by Ron Kurtz. 
and it is centered around the practice of mindfulness and focuses on how we live in our bodies in order to promote wellness. In the 1980s and 90s, sensory motor therapy was created with the help of Pat Ogden, and sensory motor therapy integrates ideas from both cognitive behavioral therapy and neuroscience. So that's a little of the history that I found. Do you have any additional history pieces, Nicole? Um, no, but like you were touching on, I like the fact that it seems like this kind of therapy emphasizes more than just using talk therapy. Um, it really, in my research, showed me that um, talk therapy can be lacking sometimes and that there's a lot of things that really affect us and are inside our body that we need to work out. And I think that just engaging in talk therapy isn't enough for most people, but that seems to be one of the only methods that has deemed to be um, appropriate. And I feel like I've just been inundated with all these different therapies um, and somatic experiencing is one of them where it's like, we could be doing more. And I don't understand this isn't going to hurt us. This is only going to help us why we don't do more studies. Um, it's kind of like these things were adopted in like a woo-woo fashion, like you said. And because it was woo-woo, no one ever did any research to prove like whether this stuff is legit or not, but it is. Like woo-woo doesn't mean it's not based on, you know, it, it's not based on data. It could be based on data. We just stop sometimes with when we deem something as being woo-woo as not being significant. And I I think in my research, that was one of the things I just wanted to really stress to people is that, yes, we are a woo-woo-based podcast, but I feel like we're my interest and I feel like Denise's interest also is not just in the woo-woo, it's also like taking the woo-woo and showing you that they're science-based facts that go with this stuff and that maybe we shouldn't just dismiss it so quickly. Um, so I don't know, for whatever reason, I just felt the need to tell you that um, as a podcast family. So um, yeah, and I also think to that, to that point, okay, let's say people do believe it's Lulu. Well, then the people that believe in it, even if it's a placebo effect, who cares? Right. It's working. Isn't that the point? Right. <laughs> you know, even as that's that is, I think, the point. And I think that's what drives me crazy about, you know, quote unquote, the science of things um, with ev not just with woo stuff, with like all of the things these days. Everybody has to have, oh, show me the paper, show me the research, blah, blah, blah. Everybody can make stuff up. It's all about what you believe, what what's real for you. And that's um, what I think is important. I would agree with that. I, a, a thousand percent. I would agree with that. Um I also thought it was interesting that really they kind of um, got into this subject of thinking about somatic experiencing and therapy by just observing animals in the wild and um, seeing the difference in the way that animals react to stressful situations and the way that humans react to stressful situations. Um, one thing that always has stuck out in my head, and I didn't even really relate it to somatic experiencing because I don't know that until I did research and heard a couple of podcasts, I even knew what that was. But um, I remember when they talk about like bunnies and they talk about how stressed out bunnies get, one of a normal response that a bunny will have is um, to move um, the other legs, whatever. This is the animal's way of dealing with a stressful situation. And that's why when we get stuck in a freeze mode, that's why we have all of these um, pains in our body where we feel like we're stuck, where we feel like we're, we, we may develop a disease or disorder later on in the future, because these things are stuck in our body. And I think that we don't do enough to realize that it's not just in our head. It's actually in our body too. And so animals will do something to naturally remove a stress from their body. Whereas humans, we a lot of times just get stuck and then it just stays in our body. And this is what causes illnesses with us. So um, I thought that that was interesting. I like relating this stuff to animals because I think that they just naturally know what to do. And humans, we get lost in all of this 
science and whatnot. And I feel like we forget that our body kind of knows what it should be doing. And we're stopping that process a lot of times. Um, so we both animals and humans have a sympathetic response to stress, to protect themselves from dangers and stressful situations. So in our body, think about what happens when you get into a stressful situation, you have adrenaline, uh, your heartbeat races. Okay, everyone, we are back. Um, strange things just happened. Um, Nicole, all of a sudden, completely froze and Zoom kicked her out. And by the time we got back on, the power went out at my house and I lost internet. So uh, we figured we weren't even going to try and hide what just happened and try and pretend to make the podcast continue on where it was. So hopefully we kind of pick back up and um, <laughs> you can follow along. So I think, Nicole, I think you were talking about, uh, you had just finished talking about how animals knew exactly how to, um, you know, process when they were in that anxious mode and humans were struggling with that. So do you want to pick back up from there? <laughs> yeah, I'll just, my point in talking about this is just to kind of tell you, like, this is how our body should react to stress and just show us that we don't always process stress the way that we should. And this is what causes issues in the future. So this research came from watching animals and how they dealt with stressful situations. And like I was saying, um, you watch bunnies who are notorious for being stressed out about every situation, I feel like, and how they handle that situation is by thumping their legs, moving around, they're getting rid of that stress. They're letting the stress go out of their body in a normal way. Whereas humans sometimes have an issue with, with allowing it to go through your body properly. So what happens in a body when we get into a stressful situation is that our adrenaline surges and then our heart rate increases and our breathing increases and our muscles start to get tense. You can feel that usually when you're in a stressful situation, like my neck, my back, like everything kind of up here gets real tight. You can feel that when you're in a stressful situation. And then our blood flow is going to be redirected from our organs to our extremities, like our legs. And this is what allows us to um, feel fear and anger and anxiety and take action. It allows us to run from danger. And if our sympathetic response is insufficient and allowing us to overcome that stress and that threat, then we move into a parasympathetic shutdown, which causes our whole body and our whole mind to shut down. And this allows us to conserve energy and it protects us from the impact of stress or threat. If you've ever talked to somebody who's really been in a very stressful situation, a lot of times like car accidents and stuff, people will actually not remember huge portions of that event. And I feel like that's our body's way of keeping us from um, maybe internalizing that or bringing that into our body. So when parasympathetic, parasympathetic shutdown occurs, we feel tired, we feel heavy, we feel frozen, we're unable to move and think clearly, we have difficulty communicating like I'm having right now, um, we feel numb, depressed, disconnected from ourselves and from the world around us, which if you think about all of those symptoms, this is the beginnings of depression as well. So when you stay in these situations for a long period of time, this is what leads us to feeling depressed and feeling stuck. It's our parasympathetic shutdown that happens with our body to conserve our energy. And so when the situation has passed, we should be able to move out of this shutdown. But the problem is sometimes we don't. And our nervous system doesn't uh, rebalance and we don't get back to a state where we can think clearly. So what I was saying with the bunnies was wild animals like bunnies know how to release this um, excessive energy that they have inside them that comes on during a stressful situation. They shake their body, they tremble, they take deep breaths, um, and that allows them to get rid of this extra energy and return to a sympathetic state and function normally without having negative consequences. But humans sometimes avoid these behaviors. So when we're in those situations, we, um, you know, I think we all feel bad being in a stressful situation or we feel bad grieving or anything that doesn't seem like it's appealing. Um, you know, those ne more negative emotions, 
while getting stuck in them isn't good, it's also not good to repress them as well. So we as humans sometimes create these issues for ourselves. And so when we prevent this stuff from happening in our body, like it should, it dysregulates our nervous system. Um, and it causes us to remain in that parasympathetic shutdown for a very long period of time. And that's when we get the fatigue, the headaches, the muscle tension, the pain, the inflammation, um, a lot of times our immune system is impaired and this is what makes us get sick a lot. Like when you're in that situation where you just feel like everything is going wrong, you get sick, your car breaks down, like you lose your job, whatever. It just seems like a bunch of stuff happens on top of itself. This, this is all happening inside of our body too. And that's why I feel like it's important for us to understand that there is scientifically based facts things that actually happen inside of our body that we don't always understand. We just take it for granted. Like it's supposed to happen the way that it's always supposed to happen, but we don't always allow it to, to run its course the way that we should. And this is what causes us to have issues. And so when we focus on just talk therapy, a lot of times that's just talking about a challenging situation and trying to alter the way that we think about that situation. And while that can be effective, sometimes that's not what's going to allow us to get past that trauma. Because if you think about it, sometimes just talking through a situation like you know, a super hard experience, like maybe you were raped, maybe um, something really violent happened to you. Sometimes talking about it doesn't help. Um, it isn't about changing your mindset about something. It's about actually like getting this out of your body. We're releasing this tension. We're releasing the way that we feel about this situation, or we're even thinking, which we'll get to a little bit later, um, one of the things that you do with somatic experiencing is you actually think about that situation again, but with a different outcome, with an outcome that maybe you feel like you can control, an outcome that seems more, um, more beneficial to us and our body, uh, that will sometimes get rid of this stuff that's stuck in ourselves. So I just really think I've been through a lot of traumatic situations and I know my body and I know how many times I've gotten stuck in situations getting stuck is my my mo apparently that is what I need to learn in this life is how to get stuck and get unstuck and teach other people how to do it too and I'm no expert I haven't learned it yet but I'm just saying this is something that I keep going through and I feel like this is why because we really need to focus on how can we overcome these traumatic situations so um so that, that was kind of my science uh, background into like what happens to your body. I just wanted us to understand how our body reacts and why somatic experiencing or somatic therapy could be helpful. Um, so do you have anything to add to that? I went on a tangent, sorry. Um, yeah, I think just like high level, I think it goes back to that freeze response that I, I mentioned earlier. So you got, what? oh my gosh, did you hear that? Yes. <laughs> hence lightning strike <laughs> sorry <laughs> now you all know why my power went out um whew, that one was close so so you so you have a fight or flight I think I just had the freeze response yeah. so <laughs> you go through fight or flight or freeze and I guess from what I researched and read about a lot of I think a lot of the freeze and why so much stuff from our childhood affects us later is like when you're a child you freeze because you you're helpless. You don't have like really a chance to fight or flight, right? You're like, don't have a chance to escape. So you have that freeze. And when you stay trapped in that freeze response, after the threat disappears, you're no longer in danger, but your body holds on to that energy that it's built up during that fight or flight. So you have all of this energy in there. It wasn't used to fight or flight. It just stays inside your body and that's how it prevents you from like completely recovering from the experience and you know to Nicole's point I feel like you know I had a lot of childhood abuse and I did talk therapy for years and I kind of convinced myself that like maybe I was better <laughs> until obviously it comes back around and I found Reiki and Reiki really did wonders and kind of healing a lot of that stuff for me and learning about this I recognized that Talk, talk therapy. Yeah, sure. Great. Like you're getting it out there. And so that is kind of a form of energy release, but I also felt very like 
dissociated from the situation. Like I almost convinced myself that I was like talking about somebody else a lot of the times just to Mm -hmm. kind of get it out. Whereas the somatic therapy and actually like moving my body and doing Reiki and energy work and things like that really um, helped me to move that trauma out of my body. So I think, I think this is really important work. Yes, I agree. I think it is important work. And for us just to understand that things can get stuck in our body. I mean, it's not, you know, people say it's in your head. It's not in your head. It's in your body. We need to understand that there is a mind body connection and we need to be more cognizant of that. And we also need to start thinking of ways to help people. Um, and I feel like doing the mind and body therapy is one way to really just I just had a doctor's appointment today and I've been having issues ever since I had my thyroid removed. And he was telling me, you know, this could be just not even just thyroid. I mean, that's the thing you have to look at yourself as a whole. There's a lot of things going on. It could be physical. It could be mental. It could be spiritual. It could be all three, you know, and I feel like with a lot of our Western medicine, we really only focus on the symptoms and how can we make the symptoms feel better? But that doesn't mean that we're um, actually curing anything, you know? And so that's one thing that I really think about with this somatic experiencing or somatic therapy is that it really does give you a way of not just focusing on the symptoms, but actually fixing it a little bit. So, um, I'm trying to think of where I want to go from here. Um, There was an author and a trained Buddhist monk. His name is Jack Kornfield. And I just wanted to say one of his more famous quotes, attention to the body brings healing and regeneration through awareness of the body. We remember who we really are. And I feel like that is a lot of times what we forget is that, you know, that, that whole thought of being a soul, having a human experience and being a human, having a soul experience, like there's that relationship and we need to remember that. Um, So when therapy is focused on talking and learning skills and relying on uh, psychodynamic relationships um, without using somatic therapy, without using mind-body awareness or trauma interventions, it can be helpful, but only to a point. Because again, we're working on the symptoms and we're not coming up with a cure. So um, I just think that it's important for us to focus on all of it. Um, Do you want to talk about the types, the different types of therapy and then kind of go into what um, a session might look like, like the techniques and things? Okay. So there are a lot of different types of somatic therapies. And I know that my list is not exhaustive. I only have a couple on this list, but I'm sure that there's a ton more, but some of the ones that come up are massage therapy. Um, That's something that could be overlooked, I think, because a lot of times it's seen kind of as woo-woo as well. Um, But when you're doing that, if you think about your energy and you think about your muscles and you think about when you're in a situation, what happens to your muscles, things get tense. M- massaging those areas helps you to kind of release that energy that I feel like is blocked or stuck there. So mas- massage therapy is a type of somatic therapy. Um, sensory awareness, just being aware of like your body, um, maybe even how your body reacts to different situations, how different things feel. Um, body mind centering. Um, I feel like that's more like doing things like um, getting your, you know, focusing on the now and then doing things like even dance can be very beneficial. Um, Doing things with uh, kinetic awareness. And so that's moving, uh, martial arts, yoga, Reiki and acupressure are some, um, and even just doing something like meditating, because that's bringing you back to that mind body uh, centering um, can be very helpful and can be a form of somatic therapy. And so um, somatic therapy can help treat stress and anxiety. It can help treat depression. It can help you with grief and trauma addiction. It can help you with abuse, um, PTSD, sleep disorders, even sexual problems. That That's all things that can be helped with somatic therapy. Um, 
So emotional and physical stress make us feel trapped and that can lead to feelings of panic, anxiety, and feeling jittery. And sometimes engaging in talk therapy can help these problems, but somatic therapy will focus on your body and mind and not just the issues you're facing. So the anxiety and trauma affects your nervous system and can cause that uh, freeze or feel fit physical pain. And when you're in a therapy session, you're really focusing on connecting with your um, body and how you feel and where these emotions are. You know, when I get angry, certain things happen in my body. When Denise gets angry, she may have something different happen to her body. So we really need to figure out like how you experience things within your own body. And the goal is to help that person develop a more positive way of thinking and behaving so they can respond better in traumatic situations in the future, but also to process traumatic situations that have happened to them in the past. So I looked up some different um, therapies that you like interventions. And so one of them was developing somatic awareness, and that is educating a client about the body awareness and how to cultivate body awareness in and around your body. And that is kind of like the prerequisite for creating change on a cellular level in your body. Um, you divide, you identify areas of tension, areas of control. Okay. So we're back again. Um, more technical difficulties. We are riding the struggle bus, um, but you're coming <laughs> along for the ride this time. So Nicole, you were talking about um, the. Um, Developing a somatic awareness. Yes. Correct. And how this is kind of the first step in kind of really understanding like what happens to your resource. What does that mean? <laughs> it's to resource. And um, that's the way that we strengthen our sense of stability and safety in the world. And so that begins with identifying a resource, um, like maybe a significant person in your life or um, a significant place or um, a relationship, uh, a strength that you feel like you have, um, an experience, a time in your life, something that felt safe. Um, and this will help you to increase uh, your feeling of safety and choice. And then um, then you will um, you feel what this feels like when you think about it. So when you think about that somatic resource that makes you feel safe, what happens? Your emotions feel a lot more positive. You feel happier. You feel calmer. You have positive sensations that are happening in your body. Your muscles are softening and easing. Um, your heart rate is slowing, you're feeling more relaxed. And so when you focus on these resources, you can calm your body and your mind down and provide relief for yourself. And so the whole point of resourcing is to kind of go back and forth between imagining, you know, or being in a stressful situation and then reminding yourself of this resource that you have, this person that you can think about, or this place that you can think about. And it brings those feelings of safety and security and calmness to your body. And so this is a way that you kind of learn how to regulate yourself. So in the future, if you're ever in an experience where you are stressed or in a traumatic situation, you can find ways to calm yourself down, your calm your own body down, which is what I love about um, therapies like this is that it doesn't I'm not saying don't go and get professional help, but let's be real. Getting professional help is expensive. Half the time it's not covered by insurance and it's only usually amounts to talk therapy. So if there are things that we can do on our own that can help us, I feel like that's kind of where we should go. We shouldn't disclude getting professional help, but we should also know that we are very capable of helping ourselves and helping our body to heal. That's what our body is designed to do. It's designed to heal. It's when we eat all this junk that we eat and put ourselves through all these situations that mess everything up. So that's a little side note. Um, the next one is grounding and that's grounding in the here or there. This is something that actually Eckhart Tolle talks a lot about and not really in reference to therapy, but it is therapeutic. When you focus what you're doing right now, I don't know how many times I get involved like making dinner for my family. And all of a sudden I'm thinking about everything that is stressing me out. And then I am freaking out and stressing out about something that 
may not even be actually going on right now. Like there's no actual reason for me to be stressing out about this while I'm making dinner for my family. But now I'm putting myself in a situation where I'm in fight or flight or stuck in between because I'm thinking about these situations. So really making sure that you are connecting to yourself at the present is hugely, hugely beneficial. So grounding, they talk about that in um, meditation as well. They talk about it with our chakras, which is our grounding uh, chakras, our root chakra and focusing on our root chakra. I mean, this comes up a lot. Um, so um, grounding, it, it helps you to stay calm. It helps to regulate your nervous system. When you feel overly activated or triggered, then grounding will help you automatically calm down. Um, an exercise that you can use that is grounding related in addition to meditating is using the four elements exercise. And that's where you get in touch with four elements that are around you. So what is an earth-based element? What is an, an air-based element? What is a water-based element? What is a fire-based element? And this kind of brings you back into the present. If you're focusing on the fire of a candle, this is bringing you into the present time. If you're listening to the rain at Denise's house, coming on her roof that is bringing you into the present. You're no longer, you don't have any room in your brain anymore to think about those things that could be stressing you out. It brings you back into a calming situation. Um, using descriptive language. Um, this is something that I think about for really anybody. My grandma from a young age told us to journal everything. And I think it was because she was teaching us to process our thoughts and our feelings with language, you know? So when you're processing tension and anxiety and traumatic memories, um, that's all done by describing the experience, you know, staying with the sensations that you feel inside your body, focus on those sensations that you feel inside of your body, instead of actually focusing on the event that could have been traumatic, you're actually focusing on your body. And then you're using descriptive words to describe how you feel. So using things like warmth or cold or tingly or sharp, numb, dull, pressure, all of these things are descriptive words that we can use. And I feel like it really just kind of gets us into a mindset of really understanding, you know, when you put words to it, I feel like it just helps you understand it better than just being in your head and not, not saying anything. Um, movement is another thing. Uh, it's a natural way of moving through a difficult situation. So I think about myself and I think about one of the things that I don't do enough, but that does make me feel a ton better is exercising. So walking, running, doing some kind of workout when people are constantly releasing that energy in a positive way through, um, some kind of exercise or physical activity, this helps you to kind of release some of this stored energy that's inside of you. And so um, you can take on physical movements um, and think about your experience while you're doing that. So you have thoughts that come up. And if you move through that experience, um, a lot of times it'll help get this energy outside of you. Think about the animals when they get stressed out. What do they do? They do something active. So this is us doing something active. Um, if you have an image that comes up uh, that taught you to when this thing happens, you react in this certain way, um, learning these things, you know, what kind of things have been given to you over your life that you maybe got as a child and don't even don't even remember that this is how you were taught to be. You know, you're in a traumatic situation. I mean, I don't know why this came to my mind and this is terrible, but say that you were in a situation where your family was you know, your parents were abusive, you know, and so when this happened, you were told to go to your room and be quiet and whatever. And so this is how you handle situations like that. When things get escalated, when people fight, you're kind of freezing and going off into your, you've been told as a child that that's what you need to do. So then when you become an adult and you're in these situations, this is your automatic way of re reacting to the situation. And I think understanding that is very helpful too. Um, so movement helps you tap into your ability to heal uh, what your body's holding on to. Moving your body can help you feel accomplished. I know that when I go for a walk or go for a run or do my exercise, 
it, I feel accomplished. I feel like if nothing else in my life, if I did nothing else, I at least did that. That was something that I accomplished. So that can sometimes be helpful in healing as well. Um, then there's co-regulation and self-regulation. Co-regulation is the way that you calm yourself down when you're connecting to somebody else. Um, therapists will sometimes become um, like a person where you feel a sense of calm and warmth and care and stability um, that you need sometimes to regulate your emotions. But self-regulation is developing your own tools to calm yourself down on your own. So um, we need to kind of have both in our life. You know, maybe we need to have a friend or a therapist or a parental figure or um, a partner who can help calm us down. But then we also need to learn how to regulate ourselves. And I think about parenting and all the ways that I probably ruined my children. And one of the things that I would like to do more of is teaching them how to regulate themselves. I can see it, especially like I'll use my youngest and she'll probably hurt me for saying this, but, um, you know, she tends to, like I used to when I was younger, have all these feelings <laughs> that she can't process. Like sometimes if she's mad, like she almost can't control herself because this is literally taking her whole entire energy and physical being and whatever. And so I had to learn and I, I need to find a better way to teach her how to regulate herself when she gets into that situation. When she's angry, what should she do to better handle the situation in the future? And so this is where parenting is an example of co-regulation and hopefully eventually we'll teach them how to regulate themselves as well. Um, Titration and pendulation is another one. Um, those are the sensations of your body when a traumatic situation happens, it floods your body. Um, and so it kind of happens, you know, you experience it head first and it re-traumatizes your body. And so healing, it's important to pace yourself and track your emotions. So that's when titration comes in. Um, titration is the process where you experience small levels of distressing events and focus on releasing and discharging the tension in your body. So instead of diving into that terrible experience head on, maybe you're just diving into just some of how you feel, just having some of that tension in your body and finding a way to release it. Um, so over time, you can actually increase the exposure that you have to stress and perform tracking, which is paying attention to your physical sensations that occur in your body and just remembering not to have fear or judgment or trying to alter them because that's the important thing. It's normal and it's okay for your body to have this this thought, this feeling, this exposure, um, but don't judge it. This is how our body, it, it's for our best. This is how we learned how to survive when we were cave people, you know, and only knew fire, you know? Um, so titration increases our um, tolerance to these things. And, and I think that you can really see that with strong people that have been through a lot, they've kind of learned how to do this stuff on their own. And that's why stress, somebody, I, I, I talk to my cousin about this all the time. My stress could be, I can't pay my bills and feed my kids, but somebody else's stress could be, I can't put a pool in my backyard because my neighbor doesn't want me to. I'm not saying that my stress, I mean, I feel like feeding my kids is a little bit bigger than having a pool in the backyard. But what I'm saying is to them, that is a very real stress. And that is a very traumatic experience. Whereas me trying to feed my kids is very traumatic and very stressful. But when you go through all these experiences, the pool stress, you laugh off because you've been through something worse. So as crappy as it is, I do feel like when you go through more stressful situations, you sometimes come out on the other end learning how to deal with it in a better way. And it doesn't bother you when things happen. Pendulation is focusing on the stressful content and then something soothing or calming. So that was that resourcing that we were talking about. When you're thinking about somebody in your life who is a safe or calming presence, when you think about a place that you can go to that's safe and calming, these are resources that kind of keep your body um, from being stressed. It relaxes you and you're kind of pendulating between those stressful situations and those calming situations. So you can go back and forth and you can learn how to calm yourself down. Um, so that releases the stress that's stored in our body and it allows us to heal from trauma and to improve our physical and mental health. 
Um, and it brings our body back into balance, which is kind of the biggest thing that I feel like is missing is that we're forgetting to be in balance. Um, the act of, I feel like I'm just kind of taking this over. Maybe I should pass this over to you. No? Okay. All right. So the act of triumph is another one. And that's a term that um, P Pierre Janet coined. Um, and it was later used by Peter Levine and um, Pat Ogden. It's a term used to reference a trauma or event where the body needed to engage in an act of defense or way of protecting itself and couldn't. And so when you think about these events and how it became trapped in our body, maybe we were a kid when something traumatic happened to us and we weren't able to run or we weren't able to fight. Now we're going back into that event and we're thinking about it, how we should not should, how we could have handled this situation differently. And so you're going back into it and you're experiencing now the way that you would want that situation to go in the future, how you would want to handle that situation. And then it allows your body to do what it couldn't do then, but but now you're allowing your body to do what it, what it wanted to do. And so somatic work is helping the body go through that event and changing the way the person handled it to give yourself a sense of relief. And so um, going through a situation like where a person felt stuck in a situation they need to get away but couldn't, and then going back through that sensation through therapy, and then experiencing um, not being stuck. So maybe you're pushing against a wall or you're pushing against a pillow and you're feeling the strength that you have within your body or you're setting a boundary and saying no when you couldn't have set a boundary before. This all gives you an act of triumph. Now you are feeling a positive effect, a positive outcome of that stressful situation. So even though you're no longer in that situation, I think this is what is so mind boggling about our body. Even though you're no longer in that situation, the cells in your body are reacting as if you were still in that event. And so changing it to a more triumphant response is now changing your cells so that they're reacting in a positive way instead of a negative way. And this allows you to be calm and feel safe and feel relief. Um, sequencing is a process where the body-based tension uh, begins to release. So often you will feel a sensation come over your body. Like when you get angry, noticing what happens to your body in sequential order allows you to often let that sensation move through your body and so it'll intensify for a little bit, but then it slowly lessens. And so this discharges the tension from our body. And that's referred to as sequencing. So you allow your feelings to move all the way through your body instead of stopping it. And that's when it gets stuck. And so paying attention to the order for which the sensation leaves your body, doing this allows you to be mindful. It helps you to build a connection between your mind and body, which is what we've been talking about, and allows you to honor your body's sensation and impulses to provide a feeling of relief and freedom. Boundary setting, which I feel like a lot of us have struggles with. I know I do as an empath, saying yes, no, stop, okay. Um, sometimes we were cut off as children from being able to have a voice. I feel like that happens a lot of times, especially, um, I would say like, you know, my parents did the best job that they could, but because they were raised by people who said, you do it this way and you don't ask questions, they kind of raised me to do that too, which took away my voice. And so it took time for me to be able to get my voice. And I still struggle with it sometimes being able to say no when something doesn't work for me, being able to say yes, when I really want to do something and not letting someone else dictate what I do. And so, um, a lot of times you might need practical support and helping to set boundaries, like maybe you were in an abusive relationship or a toxic work environment. And so um, you had to do these things because it kept you from being in a, a smaller amount of harm. Um, but sometimes you need therapeutic support to heal. So maybe your issue with setting boundaries was from, you know, an adverse reaction that happened sometime in your past. And so um setting boundaries became the way that not setting boundaries became the way that you survived. And so you need to understand that that situation is no longer occurring and you're allowed to say no. Um, 
So um, they talk about specifically in this situation, transforming touch and trauma-sensitive breath work are two things that they employ in this situation. Transforming touch um, uses co-regulating touch or visual visualization to guide your body back to a place feeling safe. You're focusing on key areas like your kidney, um, your brainstem, where stress is likely to make an impact. And then you're focusing on your skin as a way of reminding you of your boundaries. This is a boundary of your body, your skin is. And so adding touch, um, a lot of times when you hear people who have um, like autism, if they are having um, an experience where they're kind of, you know, freaking out, sometimes hugging them very tightly is providing a lot of compressed touch on their body and that helps them to calm down and it helps them to heal. Um, traumatic sensitive breath work helps you to self-regulate. Um, and so you could learn to interrupt your survival strategies, maybe of like not breathing by like doing a timed breath. So when you're in a situation where you feel afraid, my first reaction is to hold my breath. But if you work through that and you tell yourself that you're going to breathe, maybe with a count of four or a count of five in through four, out through four, then you're kind of going against what your body would normally do. Um, and you're working through it. Um, and so shallow breaths in and out of your nose and saying no a few times out loud. And then you take breaths that are slower and deeper from your belly and you say no again, you will sense that there's a different um, authority in your voice when you're doing shallow breaths as opposed to longer breaths. You are more authoritative when you're doing longer breaths. Um, so just feeling that feeling. And then building empowering skills. Um, you just maybe need to be educated on how you can set boundaries, um, asking yourself what you, what is, is this going to be beneficial for you also, if you do this and then determining if you want to continue going forward or not. And then, um, another one that I thought was interesting was using family constellations. So understanding your genetic history is important. Um, sometimes we learn things from our parents, um, down the line, you know, maybe they were in a situation where they were um, in a concentration camp or their their parents were in a concentration camp. And so standing up for yourself was something that was not allowed at that time. So then it kind of is passed through your lineage. So understanding your family history, I feel like is important as well. And now I will stop and I will send it over to Denise. No, you had several um techniques that I did not have. So I'm glad that okay. you went through them. Yeah. Um, but I just, I wanted to touch real quickly on some of the, um, the additional types that I found that can be used. So I know we talked about mindfulness and movement, and I think that's what they consider somatic experiences. So, you know, we taught, we have podcasts on, um, meditation and mindfulness, go back and listen to those, but there's a lot of opportunity there for that. But then I think movement, I know you, you, you spoke to dance, but one of the things that I did myself by myself for myself was literally just like moving with no rhyme or reason. I wasn't dancing in a mirror or trying to do like, you know, all the moves and or like ballroom dancing or anything specific like that. I literally would just put on music and you can pick whatever music you want. I preferred to listen to almost like what got, what really like got me going was like this tribal-y type of music with like really beating drums and it like just kind of shaking and just moving whatever felt right in a room by myself. Nobody saw me. <laughs> I wouldn't want anybody to see me doing it, but at the end of it, it just felt good. Like, I don't even know what was released. There was no intention behind what I was doing. It was just like, let it all come out, whatever needs to come out. Um, I did that a lot, uh, during, um, a few months that I was experiencing a lot of kind of regression, I would say in my healing <laughs> things coming up. So those are great. Um, EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which is something I've, I've really wanted to try. It's basically rapid eye movement processing. So it uses physical bilateral actions. For example, maybe a therapist will kind of move their finger side to side or a pen side to side. Or some people I think use like even sound, like going from one ear to the other ear, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. 
And while this is happening, you're rec you're recalling the traumatic experience and you're basically, it's some kind of crazy thing that happens in your brain that causes your brain to create new connections to those memories. So now you're coming out of that trauma connection to it and something is going on in your brain, things are firing and boom, the changes are happening at this like neurological level. Um, and you're getting these new connections and it like completely desensitizes these experiences. I mean, I've never done it, but I've heard it over and over again, um, working for people. So if you're somebody out there who has experienced something and you haven't heard of this, I highly recommend looking into it. A lot of professional therapists are doing it. So check it out. The other was the Hakomi method. I know we talked about Hakomi in, in the history, but basically this method explores thoughts and feelings through body sensations. So it combines mindfulness therapy and somatic therapy together. So mindfulness therapy is being present in the moment, no judgment, whatever's going on. But Hakomi would also include examining your mannerism and mannerisms and habits. So let's say you're going through, you're in this therapy, you're having this mindfulness moment and you're kind of processing some kind of trauma in your life. What are you doing in that moment? Are you like twirling your hair? Are you biting your lip? Are you biting your fingernails? Like what are your mannerisms that are going on? And that can kind of give you clues into your unconscious beliefs, you know? So like you're like, I'm not present in the moment and you're having this happen. Then you have neurosomatic therapy. Um, this addresses pain that might be caused by posture or muscle imbalances. And this approach is much, much more aligned to physical releases and often involves massage work, like Nicole mentioned earlier, posture imbalances and other physical exercises. So this is where you're actually manipulating physically the body and trying to like move this energy through. And I would put Reiki into that kind of category a little bit, because I honestly, like when I have a massage and I have Reiki, both of them leave me feeling the same way. Like a truck hit me at the end. I know it sounds crazy and not pleasant, but <laughs> to me, I feel like it, that's showing me that that is that much energy and stuff is being released and moving through my body with Reiki, sometimes not even being touched. And then the final type is called sensory motor psychotherapy, and that integrates talk therapy, mindfulness, and movement to process trauma. So what are the benefits of somatic therapy? The benefits, so obviously we talked about somatic therapy can benefit individuals who have experienced trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder. Other benefits of somatic therapy can include enhanced emotional regulation. So just being able to respond to certain situations with a better um, regulated response. So maybe there's a situation like Nicole was talking about earlier with her daughter who can't control that physical anger kind of build up. Well, this can help you to regulate those emotions in a better way. So maybe you recognize that that emotion is coming up. And now instead of like, you know, yelling and screaming at somebody or throwing something or breaking something or whatever your response was before, now you're able to better regulate that after doing some somatic therapy. Now you're not going to throw the plate. Now you're just going to maybe squeeze your fists. And then after a while, maybe the squeezing of the fists goes away and you just take a deep breath. You know, this is, this is how we start to learn how to, um, regulate our emotions in those situations. It can also help with chronic pain. So like we said earlier, you have all of, you have this situation where you are storing this stuff in your body. And with that comes, comes pain in those different kinds of areas. And a lot of us I happen to believe that a lot of people that experience, um, oh my gosh, what is it called? It's, you know, the thing the doctors can't ever figure out what it really is. Oh, fibromyalgia. 
I happen to believe that people with fibromyalgia are either like really high anxiety, stressed out individuals or people that have experienced lots of trauma and just have no idea how to um, process it in their bodies. So, you know, doing the somatic therapy can help with that. Obviously it will increase your self-awareness. Like Nicole said earlier, you're, if you're going through these therapies, they're working with you. They're telling you what you're doing as you're talking through things. They're showing you your reactions. You're mindfully becoming aware of how your reactions are. If you're going through that titration, pendulation, you're able to feel the differences and the tension in your body when you're in one space versus another. So your self-awareness is increased. You can, it helps with management of mental health disorder symptoms like anxiety or depression. And then it also just gives you these tools to process and deal with these emotions and experiences on your own. You don't have to sit in a therapy office, therapist's office. You don't have to pay all the money. You can to start out and start learning on your own, but eventually the idea is that you have these tools and you can start to process all of these things um, on your own. So what are some physical signs that your body might be releasing trauma? Shaking crying, sweating, breathing changes, muscle tension, heart pounding, all of the things that I think might be associated with um, just you know, stress and anxiety in general will be pretty good indications of the um, trauma being released from your body. So, do you have anything to add as far as the uh, benefits or any um, signs that your body's releasing trauma? No, actually, that was something that I didn't really have a ton about, so I'm glad that you did. <laughs> okay, so I wanted to just quickly go through, and I'll, I'll ask you before I kind of go into it, some examples of somatic stretching that um, our listeners can do at home themselves. Are you good with that? Yes. Sorry. Okay, cool. So, you know, I say somatic stretching. It's not necessarily stretching. Um, it's more of a a large release of long-standing tension in the muscles. So when you like initially think about stretching, you're just extending your muscle, you're getting ready for a workout or you're pulling off for a workout, but this kind of somatic stretching is different. So some that you can try at home. The first one is called standing awareness. So before you do any of the other stretches, it's recommended that by simply standing and bringing awareness to the various muscles in your body is important. So you stand up straight with your feet rooted, you notice how your feet grip the floor. You try to contract and release those foot muscles. You take some deep breaths. You notice, is your belly rising? Is your belly falling? How your muscles are expanding and contracting in that moment. And you're just kind of bringing awareness to how everything feels. And then you just do that like root to head, kind of top to bottom awareness process. And any of you people that have ever done yoga out there, We'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It's one of the key moves in yoga is that standing, um, oh my goodness, I want to say tree, but it's not tree, um, position. And so then the next one that you can do is called hanging your head. So you stand up straight, you have your feet rooted on the floor, and you slowly hang your head, letting it fall as far down as it'll comfortably go. And as you do, you notice that the muscles in your neck are feeling looser, maybe they're feeling tighter, you just start recognizing. And you can also start to notice kind of the connections between all the nearby muscles, all the joints, all the tissues. So you'll start to notice like your shoulders, you'll start to notice your upper back, and you kind of just start to recognize the areas that feel tense and just start thinking about how that tension feels and just start breathing into it and just settling into it. So at, like at the end of the stretch, you're basically trying to like manipulate the release of that tension is kind of the idea. And again, if you think about yin yoga is, is kind of like what I'm talking about here, these like deep 
stretches to where you are just like completely releasing things out of your body. The third one is called the arch and flatten. Apparently, if you experience back pain, this is a really good one. Um, it allows you to release and then regain control of the muscles in your lower back and your abdominals. It's a slow movement. You do it while you're lying on the floor. So you lay on the floor, you position your feet flat on the floor, hip distance apart, knees bent, and you take a deep breath and you notice how the muscles in your lower back and abdominals move when you take that breath. And then you'll gently arch your back, bringing your belly upward and pressing your glute muscles and feet into the floor. And you just stay in that position for as long as you can work that you feel comfortable. It's not a workout. So just, you know, until you're comfortable and then you just slowly lower your back and you flatten it against the floor. And then you just keep repeating this movement very slowly and you're scanning the muscles in your torso for any tension and you're trying to release it. So that's really the goal is just like scanning, stretching, calming, releasing. And the next one is called the iliopsoas exercise. And this is the muscle group that attaches your spine to your legs. And so many of us hold tension in it. I know I do. It's one of my biggest spots. And this, um, this actual stretch brings awareness to these muscles and the muscles surrounding them so that you're better, better able to release the tension. So you lie on your back, knees bent, feet flat on the floor again, and you place your right hand behind your head and you gently lift your head as you simultaneously lift your right leg. And you keep your leg bent about six inches off the floor. So it kind of looks like you're doing a crunch, but only on like the right side of your body. But you're going to scan the muscles in your lower back and your hips and your legs for any tension, noticing how they feel. And then you gently lower your leg and your head at the same time. And then the next round, you're going to do the same thing, but you straighten your leg as you lift. And you just repeat these motions slowly and gently several times, noticing the areas of tension, focusing on trying to release them. And then obviously you're gonna move on to the other side. Um, another one is called the carpal tunnel exercise. So if you're like me and you spend all day typing on a computer or even any other device, this is gonna help you release tension that might be building up in your waist, your shoulders, your chest, your hands, and your wrists. So to do this exercise, you lie on your left side with your legs bent 90 degree angle out in front of you and your head resting on your left arm. It can be bent or straight, whatever's comfortable. And place your right hand on the ground, resting your upper arm on your body with your elbow bent at roughly a 90 degree angle. You move your right arm up and around your head so that your right hand is near your left ear and your elbow is pointing straight up. And then you gently just guide your head to the ceiling with your hand. So the right side of your waist contracts almost like a side crunch and you notice that contraction. And then when you're ready, you just release and move your head back down as slowly as you can and repeat it again with your right elbow facing to the ceiling, gently roll onto your back with your right arm behind your head, bring your left arm out to the side, Crunch your right arm, right shoulder, and head upward and toward the left side of your body, like that kind of like cross body crunch, and then release and lower your head and shoulder as slowly as possible. And then you're going to obviously go on to the other side. And all this is like just allowing for you to recognize any tension, any like pains, any odd things that you might be holding on to. So those are some things that you can try. Obviously, if you're driving right now or you're working out or you're doing anything else, you're not going to be able to try those, but please come back and re-listen and try and give those um, a try. And you can obviously Google a lot of these things um, online if you're interested. I'm sure there's videos out there. And then some other exercises that you can try are yoga. Like I said, you can do dance. Um, they actually gave examples called soul motion and five rhythms. I don't know what that is. Um, the Laban movement analysis, the Feldenkrais method, the Traeger approach, and the continuum movement. All of these things, I didn't want to go dig deep and kind of keep going on this podcast today, but those are all things that you can kind of Google on your own. Give them a try. See what works for you. Maybe the somatic stretches aren't enough. Maybe you need something more in depth. Maybe yoga or dance is more your, your style. So I just wanted to give you some of those options.
Anything else to add, Nicole? Nope, I don't think so, but I definitely think it's worth doing a lot more uh, research on your own and just seeing this could be something that could be beneficial to you and it could be helpful in addition to talk therapy, even if you don't find somebody who is actually certified in somatic experiencing therapy, you can do some of this stuff on your own. And I feel like it could be helpful. So I'm glad that we did research on this and I hope that you guys also found it enjoyable. And we're... sorry about all the technical difficulties, but yeah. you guys are now in the loop on the joys of podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> I just figured like, sometimes we try to fix the issues, but this one was just like, I don't think there's any way I'm going to be able to like piecemeal together these shutdowns and losses. And believe it or not, Nicole got lost again in the middle of my last <laughs> spiel. So sh I was talking to myself for a minute. So it's, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's mercury retrograde or what, but the technical difficulties tonight were coming in hot. So <laughs> yeah. um, we will hopefully you enjoy this and we will chat again in a couple weeks. Thanks so much for listening. Your support is so important to us and we'd really appreciate you giving us a rating and subscribing to our podcast so you never miss an episode and you help us reach more souls. Thank you.